Hello and welcome to another edition of the ESET Security Research Podcast. My name is Ari Goretsky and I'm ESET's Distinguished Researcher and the host of today's podcast. Today, we're going to dive deep into our threat report for the third part of 2022, which was just published by our research and awareness teams on We Live Security. Joining me today is ESET's own security awareness specialist, Andre Kubovich, and he'll be talking with us about the latest trends and findings that we've observed in today's threat landscape. Welcome, Andre. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and at an odd time of the day for one of us to um, be on the podcast. Is it me or is it you? <laughs> it's one of us. Let's let's keep that a, a secret. We'll let our uh, listeners keep guessing about that. Um, so I know we have a lot of stuff t- uh, to go over. Uh, the third part of the year was just a a very busy one, um, uh, closing out 2022 for many reasons, which we'll be diving into. Um, so with all of that in mind, um, let's start with something that's actually a little interesting. I'm not sure if it's an outlier or if it's a sign of good things to come, but detections dropped in the last third of the year. Um, uh, con- contrasting with that year-over-year increase that we've normally been seeing. Could you tell us a little bit about what you saw there? Yeah, that's true. Uh, the overall detections went down by 13%, uh, but it's interesting to see that in the year-over-year comparison, it, they increased by 13%. And why that's interesting, it's a trend, because we have seen this in several categories. Uh, for example, downloaders, they were going down, I think, by... 70 80 percent uh in the last four months but year over year they were up by 70 percent so the, these it, it's interesting to see that this is happening not just like in the overall uh statistics but it's also happening in the smaller categories and for example in the info stealers there is one really interesting thing the whole category was going down by 13 percent but just one part of it was growing rapidly, and that was the banking Trojans, uh, which was due to mage card spreading and skimming credit cards of people around the world. That is interesting, and it it brings up a question I have to ask, and I, I hate to put you on the spot here because the the data may be incomplete, but I'm I'm going to ask anyway since you're a guest on the podcast, and uh, it has to come up. Can we attribute um, some of this drop in online criminal activity um, uh, perhaps to some of the threat actors, criminal gangs that were traditionally um, involved in these sorts of activities um, being elsewhere, um, such as on the Russian-Ukraine front? Uh, It's hard to say for us. We don't know where they physically are or what they are doing with their free time so yeah it's one possible explanation that these people who were 
very active before the war started in Ukraine are now working on something else, be it helping the, for example, Russian army on the cyber front or maybe because they are on the real front and don't have the time to work and play with the uh, malware and like criminal activity. And there is also this uh, aspect that they might have lost some of the connectivity or infrastructure they were using before. Sure. And I suppose even if all of that were working at 100% and um, the threat actors were not otherwise engaged, um, losing access to some of the financial infrastructure for cash outs um, would hurt their ability to do business as well. Yeah, so it's true that the uh, cybercriminals have also lost some of the access to their uh, financial means and to the uh, channels they were using to get the money from their victims. So this is also happening and the law enforcement is much, much more active in the last few months. So we have seen some takedowns and uh, Hive ransomware, for example, have been completely pawned and all their keys have been taken by the law enforcement and provided to the victims. So yes, it's happening and this is probably also something that's contributing to the dropping numbers that we see. Well, that is good news for us and uh, bad news for the criminals. And uh, speaking of criminals, let's talk about um, that large category of uh, malware. Um, Most of it's financially motivated uh, these days. Um, We call it crimeware. So what did we see in the last third of the year um, I'll start with Android, uh, that world's most popular phone and tablet operating system. How it looks in our telemetry, uh, we can say that Android was going up constantly, and it was actually the only category in our telemetry that was going up constantly, including T3. So it was up by 5% in T1, 10% in T2, and the last four months were actually got adding 57%. So it was... Uh, it's growing faster. And the biggest contributors to that were adware, hidden apps, and spyware, these three subcategories. And there is also other types of Android, of course, like ransomware, uh, but those are going down and these three that I mentioned are going up. It might seem like they are not the most dangerous types, but still with adware on your phone or with hidden apps on your phone, a lot of bad stuff can happen and it can lead to more serious infections. So we should not take them lightly. Uh, Absolutely. One of the things that's been interesting to watch is um, the growth of malware in the Android ecosystem and how it's not exactly been the same kind of threats uh, that we've seen on our desktops, which have evolved but still have a lot of similarities, um, you know, dating back over decades. But when you have these little portable devices that are always with you all day and all night, it encourages different uses, um, not just for you and I, but for the criminals as well. So um, the collection of information about us, where we are, what we're doing, um, definitely has 
uh, some value in terms of uh, you know, conversion to uh, ads, for example, that you wouldn't necessarily get on an infected PC that sits in the same home or office day after day. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. And what's most important, it's the spy spy part of the thing. You have the phone always on you. It has a microphone, it has a camera, it has a lot of personal data on you. So for the criminals who are trying to spy on you, that's the perfect material to get to. So for example, just in the T3, we have seen one very interesting variant that's uh, detected as spy.agent.boc. That's our detection, as he said. And what's interesting about it is a it's another variant of uh, Zimperium, which is Android uh, Remote Access Trojan, something that you can buy on the forums or on the dark web, basically. And it had this special version that was linked to the World Cup. Because a lot of people were watching the World Cup, a lot of people were interested in the news, in the broadcasts. It was a perfect lure to get into those devices. So the attackers created a Facebook page that was linking to a website. And when you got to that website, you were asked to download this app, which will then spy on you. It will give you the news of the, the World Cup. It was taking it from other sources. But it was also exfiltrating your SMS messages, stealing your call logs, contact lists, photos, clipboard contents, and also like other stuff. For example, if you recorded a phone call, or it could record your phone calls. So that's the perfect way for the, the attackers to spy on you, to get a lot of information. They can extort you with that information. They can sell it. Wow. And if it's an APT group, they can use this to attack high-profile targets. So it's really interesting. And that's probably the reason why the uh, Android malware is constantly growing. Yeah, it's just incredibly scary. I know a lot of times we're dismissive of the risks and threats of having um, a device with you um, all day, all night. Um, it, you know, if you're like me, um, your phone is probably rarely more than a meter away from you at most. And it just opens yourself up to um, not just malware threats, but all sorts of privacy violations, um, which is something I don't think a lot of people, um, well, I, I will exclude our listeners who are amongst the best educated and also handsomest listeners of any security podcast, um, but a lot of people are just simply not aware of. Now, were there, um, you, you'd mentioned um, some APT usage for Android malware. Was there anything that was particularly notable that you saw in the last third of the year uh, on that front? Yes, that's uh, we we have seen APTs uh, getting into the Android malware business already in the past, and in the last four months there was this specific case where a strong PT campaign has been run. Uh, it's a known APT group, and we have seen them using malicious Android app, uh, which was distributed as a Trojanized version of Telegram, which became quite popular in the last few months. So I think it was a good choice on their end, because this will get a lot of people into wanting to download it. And what they were using to distribute it was a fake 
Shaggle website. If you don't know this service, it's legitimate, completely legitimate, but it's only web-based, so it doesn't have a mobile app. It's a random video chat service that will help you to connect to other strangers. There are quite a few of such applications out there. Uh, but as I said, it doesn't have a, a official mobile app, which the attackers misused. They created a copycat website, which looked actually exactly like the original one, just with one different button. And that led to the Trojanized Telegram app that would uh, make you uh, give them access and give them everything they wanted to get from you. Yeah, there's uh, just some frightening cases for abuse uh, when it comes to mobile devices. Um, so I have to ask... Um, do we know if that was used for ransomware or was it used for other activities, extortion? No, actually, this was used for espionage. And the, I, don't, I don't know if that's good news, but uh, according to our telemetry, there were no victims. So this type of attack is used very uh, on very specific targets, very specific people. Uh, they are interested in so probably some high-profile targets, maybe in some army or uh, government, where they can extract the information. So espionage was the main target of this group, and not actually some uh, financial gain. So as you mentioned, ransomware or extortion. Interesting, and that that points out why it really is important um, at uh, national and military uh, defense installations that you separate people from their cell phones. Yeah, they need to put them in the freezer. Indeed. Yes. Do not bring your phone with you into the SCIF, the Secure Compartment Facility. So APT attacks are one thing. They often are the tip of the spear. Um, things that we do not see a lot of in terms of absolute numbers but can have a very large impact. Um, things that we do see a lot of and also have a large impact are, well, ransomware. Um, it, we did mention that we did see um, some drop in overall threat detection, but I, I find it hard to believe that the, the ransomware operators and the, the entire ecosystem of criminality that they support um, would have gone away. So what were you seeing in terms of ransomware? If we talk about ransomware detections, the numbers were steady because we are mostly looking or our detections are showing attacks where the uh, attackers got through several stages and were trying to deploy the malware. Uh, but there are a lot of attacks so targeted and are ran in such a scheme that the antivirus or security solution is uninstalled before the ransomware is even deployed because the attackers gain the administrator rights or they have uh, the complete access to the network and can do anything in there and from that moment on as a security vendor you have little or almost nothing to do uh, there because if the attackers have complete control over your products and they can remove them or close them stop them working then it's really hard to do anything. Uh, if we look, however, at the 
specific numbers. It's really interesting what was going on in ransomware because a lot of the detections came from Russia. Before, uh, it worked in a way that the criminals were avoiding Russia and all the cis countries. Actually, that changed in 2022. We think probably because of the war, uh, as many criminals have found out, okay, Russia is now one of the potential targets and also there were a lot of activists that were trying to hit Russia with ransomware so we have seen quite a few of those but we need to say also the other side of the uh, of or what we saw on the other hand and that is that the, in 2022 we have seen the largest number of destructive ransomware variants uh, so-called wipers uh, and they were not deployed mostly in Russia but they were mostly deployed in Ukraine and some of the countries that were supporting Ukraine so just in 3.3 for example we have seen Somnia wiper, Nico wiper, ransom box, prestige ransomware all of them attacking Ukraine and their allies and some of them we know and we have attributed to Sandworm for example which is a known APT group that is ran from Moscow. So yeah, you can we know that ransomware is active also in this way. The uh infamous Sandworm group, we've talked about them before, we've looked at their destructive malware before. Um it it's interesting to me that um having been I well I won't call it a a haven for ransomware, but um I'll say that it it has been curiously lacking in attacks over the past years um, for that to to change. And um, yeah, one of the things uh, that I was surprised by was um, finding out that Crywiper um, was targeting uh, Russian organizations um, and even um, local or municipal uh Oblast level, I guess we would say, uh, government agencies and orgs over there. Um, that seems a complete turnaround from what we've seen in the past um, with so many attacks on uh, American and European um, cities, municipalities, uh, hospitals, and so forth. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But like I said, if you look at or compare the numbers, it's still heavily on the side of attacking others than targeting uh, Russia. So Crywiper was this one case where uh, Russia was hit with Wiper. But we have, on the other hand, five or six uh, other Wipers that were hitting Ukraine and the opposite side. So I would not like to victimize Russia in this case. It's just, it became also a target of these uh, offensive operations and I would guess, if I had to guess, Crywiper was a work of some state-backed actor. But in this way, uh, it's a legitimate. It has become a legitimate target in the war, and it is happening on both sides. Although it's much more heavy on the Ukrainian side. Uh, understood. Thank you for uh, sharing that important distinction with us. Um, one thing I'm I'm just wondering about is. Um, you've mentioned a lot of these are uh, wiper uh, information destroying malware. Um, does this mean that the, the the ransomware part was fake, or was there a legitimate way, well, an illegal but actual way, I should say, to get your data back if you'd been hit by one of these? 
it depends on the malware that we are talking about. Some of them, for example, Ransombox has the decryption scheme. So there is possibility to decrypt, but uh, as we have attributed it to Sandworm, we don't believe that they would be willing to help the victims. But for example, uh, as of ransomware, uh, it seems like it's a ransomware. They were The attackers were trying to pin it to known security researchers and publishers. And it seems like it has worked as ransomware, but there were some mistakes and problems in the code that were destroying the data. Understood. That's an uh, interesting direction for ransomers uh, to operate in. Um, there's one thing I'd like to ask about um, that wasn't so much a part of the, the threat report, but it's just been in the news, and that's uh, the Hive ransomware. What happened there? It's a really interesting story because we know that law enforcement agents uh, were able to get inside their infrastructure and they completely owned their the whole infrastructure. So they took over their landing page where they were publishing the data. They were able to get all the decryption keys for all the victims. So basically destroy the whole operation. And they were sitting in there for months. So they actually APT'd the uh, ransomware gang and they were sitting in their infrastructure, taking their information, uh, following their actions, looking what they were doing maybe trying to identify them. We don't know. That's That like arresting part didn't happen yet, or it might never happen if they are sitting somewhere safe. Uh, but what this means is that from the 1,500 victims that Hive Ransomware has amassed in the last few years since it started working, uh, a big part of them could have been helped. So it's really good to see that Law enforcement is uh, getting on the offensive front in this uh, area and it's helping the victims. That is fantastic news. It's it's rare for us to have um, a win like that in the fight against ransomware. So uh, kudos to all the law enforcement and uh, other entities that were uh, involved in that. I was going to call it a takedown, but I think smackdown. Uh, is even better, uh, to use a, a term from uh, American wrestling TV shows. Okay, so um, ransomware has um, continued to run its, its course um, through the computers of the world. And um, a lot of that is uh, powered by um, getting a foothold, establishing that on the systems somewhere, somehow uh, to get in, um, which is the, the job, of course, of uh, exploits. What, what have we been seeing in terms of exploit technology, volume of exploits being deployed, uh, and so forth um, throughout that latter third of 2022. Now, there are several uh, ways how to get inside through the exploits. There can be some high-profile vulnerabilities that can be misused, but also uh, misconfigured or badly uh, set up 
protocols that uh, many companies and organizations are using. For example, Remote Desktop Protocol. We have been talking about it, I think, in every edition of our uh, Thread Report podcast. Yes, we have. And and this one was very popular because you just need to brute force your way in. You just need to guess the right password. And with users still using simple, easy-to-guess passwords, it was a great way how to get inside of the uh, vulnerable networks for the cyber criminals. And it was growing very, very fast and very constantly until the end of 2021. And actually, in the first few days, I think it was first 10 days of January 2022, it was going up rapidly and was in hundreds of millions of attacks uh, per year. Now, in the last four months of 2022, we have seen continuation of the trend that the numbers were going actually down. And it started in January 2022 when the numbers dropped by 80-90% and this has continued in T2 so uh, May till August and also in the last four months where it dropped by another 16%. If we compare it year over year it was 49% decrease but if you take away the first 10 days when it was still growing it would be actually a drop by 63% so it was a really really big difference uh, compared to 2021. That's a, a huge difference in just 10 days out of, well, 365. Um, it, it's amazing to me that um, you've seen this drop, but there's still so much of it uh, going on. Is it suddenly due to everyone doing a better job of securing their RDP servers and you think the attackers have kind of taking their foot off the gas, so to speak? Or would you attribute it to something else entirely, such as finding a better vulnerability to um, exploit? Both of the scenarios that you mentioned are possible, but what we guess to be one of the decisive factors or most influential factors is actually war in Ukraine again, uh, because a lot of the RDPs are the attacks are coming from Russian IPs. So with the Russian internet being cut off or at least partially separated from the global web, probably this has also led to a drop in the activity of uh, RDP attackers, um, be it access brokers or anybody else who was trying to misuse this vector. But let me just say one thing uh at the beginning of the year it was around 1 billion attack attempts a day that's how many detections we have seen in our telemetry so that's not the global number that's just for our clients that we have seen and blocked of course wow and that was the the beginning of uh, 2022 at the end of the year it was around 100 millions a day which is still a huge number i mean it's 10 times lower than in the beginning, but still a huge number that you need to protect from. Um, for those of our listeners who are not aware, um, is uh, Andre and I are recording this podcast. We also have the video stream going. Um, I just want to make that um, something in your awareness so that uh, when I say that you cannot see my shocked face, it is there. Yeah, and I can confirm it. Okay. Um, but um, RDP hasn't been the only widely mass-exploited way for these attackers to 
crawl into systems. Have you seen any other um, vulnerabilities being exploited uh, as well? As I, I know that as the threat research team looks around, they're constantly seeing um, new vulnerabilities being exploited. Um, what else did you see besides RDP in that um, latter part of the year? I mean, there are other protocols that are being uh, targeted by password guessing, for example, SQL, SMB. But what I would point out is Log4j or Log4Shell. Log4j is the uh, legitimate library that has been found vulnerable at the end of 2021, if I'm not, not mistaken. And still, to this day, the number of attack attacks is growing because it's a really serious vulnerability. And when I say really serious, it's 10 out of 10. There is like no room above it. And by the end of the year, it has grown uh, by 9%. So in the T3, uh, the last four months. And we already know that this is going to be endemic. It's going to be with us for the coming years, the same as, uh, for example, the vulnerabilities in SMB were after the WannaCry attack in 2017. And what's making the situation a little bit worse in this case is that uh, some organizations are following what types of uh, Log4j or what versions of Log4j are being downloaded and used by the organizations these days. And it seems that still more than a quarter of the new downloads, so you are trying to use this library in your, um, for example, website server or what, wherever in your system, is still vulnerable to these attacks. So there are new instances of Log4j coming up every day. Uh, now, th this is a... It's a, a open source library, and typically when a vulnerability appears, those get patched very, very quickly. Um, it, it might be just hours, not not even days. Um, are you seeing this because uh, criminals are spreading the old vulnerable versions? Um, is it? packages that are not being updated um what's accounting for that now the reality is much more sad uh it's not the criminals that are spreading this it's actually the legitimate organizations that are probably unaware of the problem that are downloading the old version of the open source library because those are still available online but there are new ones and they were as you said released maybe hours after the vulnerability has been reported so there is a way how to patch how to update how to use a secure version of this library but there are still users and organizations out there that are downloading the old versions and deploying those making themselves into targets so it it sounds like um for our sysadmins in the audience um you know, pay very careful attention to the um, versions of the Log4j uh, libraries that you're downloading. Um, it's not been magically remediated. You you still have uh, potential for exploitation there. And as, as you said, this is uh, 10 out of 10 on the uh, CVE scale. It, it does not get any worse than that. Okay, so uh, thank you so much for um, this this kind of comprehensive look at um, how 
2022 ended um, from a, from a malware perspective. Um, can you tell us a little bit, if if it's not too early, um, about the sorts of things we might be seeing and uh, throughout the rest of 2023, um, where our people might even go if they want to hear about some more of our research? Uh, yes, we will have our researchers describe and talk about their findings at several conferences, but the probably most high-profile ones are RSA and BotConf. So if you want to see what we found, what we were working on in the past few weeks, months, even years, uh, go to these two events and watch our researchers talk. Fantastic. Well, um, uh, perhaps um, some of our listeners will even get to see one or both of us at uh, some of these conferences uh, that are coming up as 2023 opens up more to um, physical conferences away from uh, all of those Zoom meetings and team meetings and webinars that have kind of become the way that security researchers communicate for the past few years. Well, Andre, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your schedule. And uh, also, um, I would like to th um, thank our special audience member, um, your daughter, who um, was joining us today and um, was also very quiet um, uh, throughout the recording of the podcast. Um, you did great. And um, as soon as you start speaking, we're looking forward to having you on as a guest as well. Um, we will probably have more of these podcasts covering the threat reports uh, coming up. We have uh, more scheduled throughout the year. We also have our advanced persistent threat reports um, that are staggered as well between those, where we look at what the determined adversaries, the attackers of governments, nation states, uh, industrial espionage are doing. And um, we'll be covering more of that as well. And uh, perhaps, Andre, you'll be joining us for those. Well, let's hope so. Thank you for having me. And thank you also for <laughs> inviting my daughter to be here for the next episodes. See you around. This has been an episode of the ESET Research Podcast. For more insights from our fellow researchers, you can follow us on Twitter at ESET Research. We now have a presence on Mastodon. Uh, ESET Research is on the infosec.exchange server. And of course, you can find all of our latest blogs, articles, white papers, and podcasts on welivesecurity.com. This episode has been hosted by me, Ari Goretsky, here in the United States. It has been produced and published by our worldwide group of researchers, um, including Andre and his daughter. Until you listen to us again, stay safe out there.